Hey guys, uh, welcome to an episode of the Signal Cast, also a bonus text mix episode brought to you by Texas Signal. And I am today joined by our fellow patriots uh, working on the progressive side of things, Ed Espinoza from Progress Texas. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, so, and shout out also to uh, my coworker Joe Deshotel, who is days away from becoming a father, so we we are wishing him and Stella all the best. Nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, love, love love me some Joe, and he is uh, he's getting ready for a whole new chapter in his life. I look forward to to hearing more about it and seeing the news when it happens. Yes, yes, uh, and I hope that they're just catching up on sleep now because I know for <laughs> <laughs> for a while it's been. Get it in the bank, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, but, so Ed is here today, and uh, we're going to sort of break down uh, because voting is just around the corner. In fact, early voting starts Monday, February 14th. If you have Valentine's Day plans, take your sweetheart down and, and do your civic duty. Uh, a better way to say I love you yeah. than to vote early. Uh, and it is, it is very, very crazy. I think a lot of people, they're actually caught off guard about this. It, it seems I been kind of looking through different neighborhoods. I live in North Dallas and I have to tell you, I haven't seen, I've seen very few yard signs. I've seen very little canvassing. Uh, are you feeling the same way or is this just me? It's with the exception of like a few highway billboards, you know, like the four by eights on corners. It has been a really quiet primary. And earlier this week, I reached out to about 10 people that I know who work in politics either work on campaigns or just follow them, work in the media. In every major city in the state, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, and almost everyone had the same thing to say, which was that it is a very quiet primary. People don't seem to be that engaged right now. People are either exhausted from the 40 or 50 legislative sessions we had last year, or they're still, they still kind of have some of that election hangover from 2020. But what a lot of people I think are reeling from is the fact that our primary is so early that they're not really in the mindset of electioneering just yet. Like this is, we're not even halfway through February. We're actually closer to last Christmas than we are to the next election, next general election. And yet here we are picking candidates for the election again. And I think that early primary date, that first in the nation primary is is really kind of showing we're seeing the downside of that right now and that some people just may not be ready for it yeah i really think that this was a, a big ploy by abbott uh, who is himself <laughs> facing uh, republican primary challengers um you know to sort of stave that off and it, it may it may help him i think it will and it also very well may help ken paxton our indicted attorney general um, you know, even though it, it sort of looks, I, I've noticed a lot of the newspaper endorsements, they'll either be for Guzman or Bush, mm. um, I think maybe a handful for, for Gilmert. Uh, but it, it seems like, at least according to the, the limited polling that we have, he, he, could, he could win this without a runoff. Oh, I, I've only seen a few numbers. Not the ones I saw, I thought he was... <clears throat> right, we're hovering right around 40, which I guess in a race like this puts you in striking distance to avoid a runoff. But to have three opponents as an incumbent, that right away is, is kind of is very unusual. 
And what's also unusual is that George P. Bush may not be the runner up. Like Louis Gomer is the one that seems to be nipping at Paxton's heels, which tells you a lot about where the Republican Party is today. And that not only are they challenging an established incumbent who is granted not the most popular in either party, but that Louis Gomer is the potentially the strongest alternative to him. I think it's kind of a lot uh, of Republicans off guard too. Like I, um, <laughs> I live, I, I, I actually live just less than a mile from from George W. Bush, and yeah. there are a lot of his friends in this neighborhood, and they seem very aghast that this, you know, this great dynasty is is I think pretty much over with now. It's um, not the party of Bush anymore. I mean, it's really drifted far away from. Bush politics to an era of politics that, I mean, the, the party is largely unrec unrecognizable today compared to what it was 10 years, 20, 30 years ago. It's just very different. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, did you ever actually watch Gohmert's announcement when he was going for attorney general? I did not. So it was marred by a lot of technical difficulties where initially I think they were starting at noon and then they couldn't get some Wi-Fi things. So the, the footage I saw was actually just this random person who had a Facebook video. Uh, but Gomer, I mean, was very clearly laying out that, uh, you know, Ken Paxton could very well end up charged with, with a crime. Uh, he was indicted by a grand jury seven years ago for felony securities fraud. He's still under investigation by the FBI for a separate matter of uh, abuse of office. Um, but Gomer was like very, very, I mean, in, in his crazy Louis Gomer way, like basically saying, hey, this guy could, could, you know, result, A, you know, result with us having a, a Democratic attorney general, which, I mean, that would be great for, for us. It'd be great for us. And the, and the irony in Louis Gomer saying that is that if the January 6th committee really starts to zero in on members of Congress who helped the insurrectionists Gomer himself could be under some form of indictment at some point, uh, perhaps at this point next year. So maybe those words will come back to haunt him if he gets the nomination and if he, God forbid, ends up being the attorney general of Texas. Uh, yeah, so, so we touched a little bit on attorney general. I know a race that you were very interested in, and this one I think has also sort of people are kind of like, what's happening here is lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's uh, Dan Patrick is the is the one that, like Paxton, one that Democrats love to hate, and arguably the most powerful office in Texas, maybe even more so powerful than the governor. I mean, it the lieutenant governor sets the legislative agenda in Texas. It doesn't in, in the Senate anyway, but you can't get anything without having gone through the Senate. So it's an important pillar there that that the uh, lieutenant governor controls. But on the Democratic side, you've got Mike Collier, who was the Democratic nominee four years ago. You have Michelle Beckley from Denton County, who won a swing seat, flipped that seat in 2018, held it in 2020 and is running again. And then you have Carla Braley, the former vice chair of the Texas Democratic Party, She's from Houston. Uh, she's also black, so she brings in an important constituency in, in the Democratic primary. But between those three, you know, you have uh, a lot of question marks. We don't really know who's going to do well. You could say that Mike Collier 
maybe has the name recognition to do better. And he certainly has put together an impressive campaign. He's raised nearly a million dollars, which for a Democratic statewide race um, that's not named Beto uh, is a respectable amount. Um, But you also can't deny that uh, women perform better in the Democratic primary. And that's a lot, a lot of that goes to the fact that voters are looking for representation and, you know, they want to see themselves and their leaders. And right now, all of our statewide officials are men, except for one woman who's on the Railroad Commission. They're all Republican. They're all men. They're all white, except for George P. Bush. And it's, uh, uh, and so because of that, I think Democratic voters tend to favor Uh, women candidates over men candidates. It's about time we've had some women in statewide office. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've gotten a couple of questions from from people who, you know, follow politics, but maybe not as as intensely as as you or I, and they were a bit concerned. Um, You know, there is a chance on our Democratic side that the the top three uh, candidates will will be white men, and, you know, they would all be great, but there is that think lingering concern for people, especially as we've been talking about the demographic changes in Texas. This is why I think the Republicans enacted things like Senate Bill 1, uh, you know, our voter suppression bill. They're, they're clearly trying to, to deny what's happening. And then here you could you have this chance of that happening on the Democratic side. And it just kind of, it makes people a little nervous, I think. It's tough to inspire the growing uh diversity, it's tough to inspire a growing and diverse electorate when your candidates don't look like the people you're trying to mobilize, right? Uh, That's not to say that Beto and Collier and some of the other candidates are not respectable, hardworking, good candidates. I think they're all of those things. But uh, we do want to see some diversity here. And I think, you know, the first race on the ballot after governor is lieutenant governor. There's only three candidates there. So I think you know, it's, it's not a given that a three-person race is going to head to a runoff, but in this particular race, I looked at some polling this week, um, we've got 58 and 53% undecided in, in both polls that were taken. That to me looks like this is certainly headed for a runoff. We just don't know who who's going to be in that runoff. So yeah, that to me has been kind of something that I've noticed where with the exception of Beto O'Rourke, a lot of folks just don't seem to know a lot of these other candidates. And again, because this primary is so early and you you were you made that great point about we're closer to Christmas. Uh, I literally uh, just a week ago, I saw a house that still had Christmas decorations. I was like, my lights are still up on my balcony. It's just, you know, winter is a dreary month. You want to brighten it up a little bit. Uh, we leave them up till President's Day. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, sure. And I mean, it, this is this is this is insanely early. Um, and I know you you chatted with uh, Rochelle Garza, the Attorney General candidate, and I mm-hmm. moderated a debate uh, that the AFL CIO did with the three candidates. Unfortunately, Rochelle could not attend that. How? How are you? How are you thinking about that Democratic primary? So actually, this is I'm really glad we get a chance to have this conversation because um, you know you your the candidates you moderated between were Joe Jaworski and Lee Merritt, and then with Rochelle Garza are clearly the top three out of a field of five. Uh, my team and I talked to Rochelle Garza today, and uh, it was good conversation. I'm very impressed with her. You know, I, first of all, I'm impressed 
again, with the diversity she brings to the ticket, uh, I was glad, I was very pleased to see her jump into the race. I had not heard of her before. I didn't know anything about her, but she came on the scene. Uh, she made, really, she spoke the language of the progressive movement. She talked about abortion rights. She talked about voter, voting rights. She talked about the importance of upholding democracy. She's got uh, experience in immigrant rights through her work as an attorney. She's from South Texas. And, you know, a lot of people bring things to the table where they, they check the boxes. But for Michelle Garza, it wasn't just checking the boxes. Like this is somebody who is young and dynamic and hungry and you can see the fight in her. And it, uh, I was really pleased to see us to have a can our ticket to have a candidate like that. Our conversation today was very similar in that I felt she, she made some very good cases. She talked about the issues I just mentioned, but we also talked about not only how the attorney general can either fight for bad laws or stop bad laws, but how the attorney general has investigatory powers within the state. And we haven't really seen that done here in decades. And if that's the one office we can flip, then there's a potential to really look at sort of what malfeasance, what wrongdoing, what corruption has been done in the state of, under Abbott and Perry for however many years they've been in control now. It was almost 21 years. Mm -hmm. I know. And when you think of the ways in which Paxton has, uh, you know, pretty much created a lawless environment in that office, um, firing mm -hmm. multitudes of whistleblowers, people he hired. Uh, you know, for, for raising concerns about ethics. Um, and you think about all the things that, that aren't being investigated right now. I don't know if you've been following what's happened with the National Butterfly Center down at the border. Oh, yeah, yeah. with the wall you, going through the property, then just sure. kind of have, it. Yeah. yeah, you have these crazy sort of people that are doing that, but also a pack that has been behind this. Uh, this was Steve Bannon was involved with that as right. like another individual. And you know, while Bannon was pardoned by Trump, uh, a state attorney general could still press charges against this stuff, which I think has been uh, very overlooked. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, I mean, that would be a potential for me if we actually had an attorney general who, who cared about things like laws and ethics. That would, you, know, that would be you mentioned lawlessness. I also mentioned laziness. Is there something that uh, was put up on Twitter today? Uh, you may know my uh, followers of Texas politics may know Michael Lee oh, with the from Dallas, a re foremost redistricting expert on Texas redistricting, maybe even one of the uh, national redistricting experts, I would say. He uh, tweets out, in the Texas mail ballot case, the Texas Attorney's Gen Attorney General's office clearly cut and paste arguments from the abortion case, but didn't proof the doc. And the screenshot of the document for the vote by mail case has a highlighted text at the bottom that says somehow might prohibit the heartbeat suits for abortion performed before it was set aside on appeal. <laughs> What's that have to do with vote by mail? Just, fab just fabulous work from our attorney general. I know sixth graders that are better at not doing the case. <laughs> about this. Um, I, so I know that there's also, we have a couple of congressional races that are, that are very interesting up in my neck of the woods in Dallas. 
uh, Eddie Bernice Johnson, uh, a long, long serving member of, of Congress, announced mm-hmm. that she would not be seeking reelection. Uh, some people had thought this was coming. I personally was like very like when David Lee raised this to me a couple of months ago, I was like, until I see it from Eddie Bernice Johnson, I will not, I will not believe it. But she, she did, <laughs> as, as she did announce she was not seeking reelection. And then it further surprised people where she actually endorsed Jasmine Crockett. Uh, Jasmine mm-hmm. has talked with us a couple of times over at Texas Signal. Uh, she is a, um, a member of the state legislature, uh, but there, there are a lot of other people in that race. Jane Hamilton, uh, who had been with Joe Biden's campaign in Texas, uh, Abel, um, Abel Mugaleda, who is uh, Rafael Anchia's former chief of staff. You have an uh, progressive candidate, Jessica Mason. Um, I'm curious, has that race sort of uh, piqued interest anywhere else besides Dallas? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the 30th, I think, is something that people talk about quite a bit in Texas. Um, The names that come up the most are Jasmine Crockett and then Jane Hope Hamilton. Um, I was familiar with Abel and I was familiar that and she as chief of staff was in the race. I didn't realize they were the same person until just now. Um, And uh, I I hadn't heard of uh, Jessica Mason previously. So, I mean, even people who I would say are watching it closely, as you kind of put an asterisk next to closely, again, this being a quiet primary season, right? Uh, Crockett and Hamilton are the two names that come up. And, and like Crockett was really, she's a first term legislator in the Texas House and she was a star this year. And to the point to where she I even ruffled some feathers because she's so good at getting media coverage that uh, I think some people felt that she was getting coverage that that they should have gotten, but she's very good at delivering her message, packaging that message and delivering it. And there are a lot of elected officials, candidates, other people in various levels of government who are very good at the policy and very good at doing the work, but aren't always good at communicating it. And because of that, people don't know about it. But Jasmine Crockett is a very talented communicator and she's a very passionate speaker. And you put those two things together and she's really been very good at getting a lot of media. She's got a great comms team. Her social media has also been very good. And that's probably what caught EBJ's uh, attention and maybe why she was so impressed with her. Now, Jane Hope Hamilton, like you mentioned, also on the Biden campaign has been had been very active in Dallas politics for a long time. I guess you would probably know more about that than I would, but my, my assumption is that she's been very involved in Dallas politics. Um, most of the people I know up there that I talked to in years past had mentioned her name in different contexts. So um, I think that uh, this is one that people are watching along with uh, at least one other race around the state. But for the most part, when you have redistricting that is so airtight there just aren't that many competitive seats in the state and the primary tends to be where it's at right um yeah this 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 district changed just a little bit it has a little bit more tarrant county now than it than it did previously um i myself was the the i talk about this a lot um i i am the product of, of redistricting right now so i'm in a new congressional seat i'm in a new state house seat i'm in a new state yeah. senate seat 
Um, I don't really have anything to say about that, but just, <laughs> just like, what the heck, man? Like, why did this? Why did this happen? Are they better districts or worse districts or just different districts? Oh, they're wholly worse. Uh, so I went. <laughs> um, so I went from being in Colin Ulrich's district to now Beth Van Dyne. Uh, I'm also in the, it is the John Turner's district, although this got redistricted. So now it's Morgan Mayer's, Meyer. I don't don't even want to know his name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I also am now in the, I was in Nathan Johnson's state Senate district, but now it is uh, Jane Nelson who is retiring and well, if you have any constituent service requests, I suggest you may want to get those in before the next election while you still have friends. I, so I, yeah, I, I am sure that if I ever tried to call Beth Van Dyne's office, they would be so eager to, to not pick up the phone. Keep right on that, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm very interested uh, in that in the Texas 30th race. I actually just saw uh, Jasmine Crockett earlier this morning, and she told me that there was a, a new pack that is going to help uh, put that's uh, going to put in one million uh, into her race, so that she'll be wow. on the airwaves. Um, so she has a, a ad that they have on social media now, where Eddie Bernice Johnson is is figuratively and actually literally passing on a torch. Mm. Um, so it, it was very powerful, and I'll I'll be interested in that. Uh, what are the, the issues you're seeing come up in that race locally? That's a very good question. Um, that because that is a very staunchly Democratic district. Uh, you know, I think the vo- voting rights has been a big thing, and I think that is something that that uh, because of Jasmine's work in the state legislature, that has been helping her a lot. Now, um, you know, we we've talked about Senate Bill One, but that there are a lot of concerns about voting in Texas right now. We were just yeah chatting earlier before recording about some new reporting that the vote by mail rejections, they're getting up to 40% in a lot of these counties, including Harris County. Uh, So there's a lot of concerns about this. And, and so, so that's something that I think has, has been coming up. And then I I think things, uh, you know, a lot of people who do not like a lot of what happened in the legislature, whether, whether it's uh, the abortion ban, the, permitless carry, um, you know, our attacks, you know, stamp, stamping out critical race theory, which is of course not taught in schools, but, but has led to some very uh, scary censorship bills and book banning. You know, we've talked about, uh, at Progress Texas, we've talked about abortion rights and voting rights for years, but it's always been one of those things that people cared about that wasn't really high on their list of, of priorities. So, when, if we would do a poll or if we, we would do, if we put a poll into the field, or if we asked our people the internal survey, a binary question, do you, are you care about this issue or not? It always come back like 75%, 25%, right? But when we listed it in a laundry list of issues and say, which one of these are the most important to you? They always ranked in the single digits. But a lot of the public polling I'm seeing now, whether it's the Dallas Morning News or the Texas Tribune or any other outlets that regularly do polling, voting rights and abortion rights are coming up very high. And obviously it's because it, they've, they've become big issues nationwide, but particularly here in Texas, where the legislature has just ripped apart these rights to the point where people are like, hey, I realize they're not things I do every day, but I still care about them. And I really care about you know these rights being infringed upon. So 
Well, it's, it's interesting to see that that's that when you mentioned that that's happening at the regional level, I think every region is, is seeing that the same way. And boy, what a change from years past. Right. And I mean, um, I think the the effects of of the abortion ban are are obviously they're having a they're having a huge toll. And, you know, we're we're going into some very scary times, not just in Texas, but around the country. It's it's yeah. very likely in a few months uh, Roe v. Wade will will be overturned and you're going to start seeing conversations that were always theoretical now actually reality and that sort of changes people's perspectives now we'll we'll see if that does actually translate to things at the ballot but for now i I think i think you are right that there has been this uptick of of these things that previously really didn't didn't factor into anyone's vote i wonder if the um the critical race theory thing really seems to have changed with this the whole idea of book banning. And I, I, I've got to think that that's gonna be a major misstep on their part because anytime you talk about book banning, it seems to me that one of the first things that comes to mind is book burning, right? Which is like right back to 1930s Nazi Germany and you're like, okay, is this gonna fly? Is this going to be one of those things that Republicans just kind of accept? Or are we finally going to see a tipping point where voters and independent voters are like, hey, what are we really doing here? And especially, I, I mean, some of this is like you have people who don't want biographies of Michelle Obama. Like, the, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I remember uh, so when Matt Krause, who is who was actually running now, uh, he had been in that attorney general's race, but now he is running for Tarrant County District Attorney. Uh, which that'll actually be a very important race too. Yeah. Uh, but he, when he put out this list of books, it was about 800 books. 800 many of them, books. Yeah, many of them written by uh, women, people of color, a, a lot of topics about anti-racism, yeah. about LGBTQ stuff. I mean, I was going through this list and I was like, a book about Ruby Bridges is on here. Um uh, a book that actually I'm I'm going down to uh, Austin uh, tomorrow for a Texas Book Festival event, uh, and I met this author there a couple of years ago, and I loved his books. Uh, Benjamin Science, he's originally from El Paso. His young adult novel was on there. Um, it's you know it it has some gay themes. That's but that's I, history of uh, Harvey Milk was one of the books. I think the history of the rainbow flag was one of the books. These are like, these are important social movements, regardless of how they affect the LGBTQ movement, which they're obviously very important there. But even beyond that, like the creation of the rainbow flag is a really important issue when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to gay rights, when it comes to art and design and the impact of art and design in politics, right? There, it's, there's, there's an intersection of so many things there. Harvey Milk, again, very important representation from the LGBTQ community, but also just a very important figure in politics for some of the things that he worked on it, during his time. It's almost as if they want to censor people or should I say cancel people? I thought they were against this sort of thing. <laughs> No, it was it was them all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so I think the, the last race I did want to talk about, we, we mentioned uh, another, this, another congressional race, um, but the primary between Jessica Cisneros and Henry Cuellar, uh, you know, it was very competitive two years ago. Um, came down to the wire, and I, I'm I'm very interested in this race. I know uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez will be will be down in San Antonio over the weekend, uh, trying to get out the vote for for Jessica. I'm cu- I'm curious your thoughts on this. So the, you know I've been asked about this a couple of times. We do we do we have a couple of relationships with a couple of TV shows here um, in in Texas. And it's come up a lot. And I always feel like people are prodding me to like really floor Coyar, uh, which I'm always hesitant to do because, you know, innocent until proven guilty, although it doesn't look great, but still, you know, it's, um, what I can say is the timing of the FBI raiding his office and his home couldn't be worse, right? I mean, it really just... Uh, hit him at the worst time and all that aside I, I believe it has to do the what I've heard it has to do with dealings with Azerbaijan yeah I'm saying that right um, you know Jessica Cisneros his primary opponent ran against him in 2020 and I believe it was a 52-48 race it was four points however this play I don't know if there was a third person in the race to siphon anything off but um it was very close. And I don't know how close she was running this time in the rematch, but I got to imagine that after that news hit that, she, that her race became as competitive as 2020 or more competitive than 2020 when that news hit. And the fact that you've got people like AOC coming out for her this time, and you have people like Nancy Pelosi not coming out for Cuellar this time as she did two years ago, those are big tipping points in a primary, particularly going back to what we've been saying about it being a quiet primary. Quiet primary means lower turnout. If there's lower turnout, well, that means you're, that means those who show up are going to have a vote that's worth a lot more than it normally is. And if they feel that they're comfortable with Cisneros and that she represents the future and Cuellar does not, well, that's, that's bad news for Cuellar. Yeah, I'm very, uh, we're, we're at a story that we're running on Texas Signal. Latino Victory is actually mm-hmm. going to endorse Jessica. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, that organization, though, is supposed to elect progressive Dem- Latino Democrats. And, you know, for a lot of people, Henry Cuellar is not a progressive Democrat. Uh, no, and he'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. not proud of that. So that, I think, that will be very interesting. Um, a little note of trivia on Cuellar uh, for people who may not know, you know, he used to be the secretary of state in Texas and he is the reason we have runoffs the reason we still have runoffs today. Really? It was an opinion that then secretary of state Cisneros wrote when someone came up with the idea of getting rid of runoffs or having instant runoff or approval voting or anything else. And his opinion was you have to have a majority of the votes in a race Therefore, you have to have a runoff. And anytime something comes up when people say it's Texas law, well, it's really an interpretation of a law written by Cisneros, uh, sorry, Cuellar, back in, I think it was 1990 or something like that. Wow. I, so. 
I didn't realize this is going to sound really awful. I didn't realize he was that old <laughs> around for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, uh, I'm very, very uh, uh, flummoxed by a lot of these races. I have to tell you, I'm like, I have no idea what's happening here, especially a lot of um, a lot of the state house races. Um, I'm now in a, in a race with a contested democratic primary. Uh, and I'm just, um, I, I hope, I hope people know that voting is happening. We're trying, I mean, I, I know that y'all at progress, Texas, we at Texas signal, we, we've been sounding the alarm, but hopefully, hopefully voters, voters get the message. You know, we think about buying Christmas at present, uh, presents at Christmas time. And we think about voting when it's election time, but February doesn't really register as election time, and for good reason. You know, it's, it's not a normal time for most people to do it. I, I want to go back to something before we wrap up, because we talked about the attorney general's race, and we, we talked about you moderating the forum, but I, I was really curious about your takeaways from that forum. Sure, yeah. Well, I uh, well, it was. Uh, we were sorry that Rochelle Garza could, could not appear during, during that, because I think that would have been very important for the AFL-CIO to, to hear from her. Um, it was it was very interesting. I, I think that there were times I have to be very like a little diplomatic on, on how I approach this. Uh, but there were a couple of topics that I think she could have really excelled at. I asked a question about abortion rights. Uh, both Joe Jaworski and Lee Merritt then referred to it as a heartbeat bill, which we wanted to get away from that type of language. And I right. think Rochelle would have would have pointed that out. Um, but it was overall pretty, pretty civil. Uh, you know, Joe and Lee agree on a lot of things. Um, and it'll, I, I am very, you know, because I mean, Joe has been campaigning for a long time. I think he got into this race. Like what was it? Ago, right? Yeah, October of 2020. Was like it that? I, I, <laughs> I really think it was before the election. And I, I remember talking to him early, early. 2021 uh and and Lee Merritt himself he also acknowledged that he has not spent that much time in Texas uh he is often representing clients around the country on a, a number of civil rights I mean the um, Ahmaud Arbery case right. was like one of his biggest cases mm-hmm. and uh for people who don't immediately recognize the name he was the the young black man who went on a run in mm-hmm. Georgia and then was murdered by three men who basically chased him down and then after the fact accused him of breaking into homes, which he was not doing. Ahmaud Arbery was the, I don't know if he was the lawyer or one of the lawyers, I think he represented the mom in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then Jaworski, who I believe his father or grandfather was involved in the Watergate, Watergate. hearing. Yeah. So some people with some pretty high profile credentials there Yes, and um, you know that that is something that that Joe will bring up. I had to confess I did not know that. I thought maybe he was related to the quarterback Ron Jaworski, but that's a separate <laughs> separate entity. In Texas, uh, that, like, might get you more votes. Actually, that's what I was about to say. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not quarterback guy. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very very interested in in that race as as many others, and I. I mean, I think we're also going to have to embrace for what's going to happen with with the impact of, of Senate Bill One. I mean, mm-hmm. I 
I, I was not eager to go in person and vote, you know, in 2020, but obviously you did. I remember I had like this double mask thing and I was just trying to yeah. go at very off hours. I'll, I'll do the same this go around. Um, but gosh, I mean, the fact that we don't even have online voter registration in, in this in this state uh, and they, you know, pass this monstrous bill uh, with some, I think that, that, that uh, that's going to have, I think, think some pretty bad consequences. Um, we, we will have to, to, to see what those, how, how this actually turns out. Well, we're already starting to see them, right? Like, I mean, you mentioned Harris County, but uh, Collin County, Tarrant County, Travis County have all mentioned anywhere between 40% and 50% of the early vote by mail applications coming in being ones they couldn't accept because you have to sign up. When you register to vote, you have to use an ID number and you can choose which ID number. Is it your driver's license? Is it the last four of your social security or is it something else? But the new law says that your application to vote by mail, the ID you use has to match the ID you registered with. So if you don't remember what you registered with, it doesn't matter if the new ID you're using is valid. If it's a mismatch, then they reject it. And that's that's really troublesome. And they've got to find a way to fix that, which is why the law was so terrible. This is exactly, for people who forget, this is exactly what Democrats were trying to break quorum over when they fled to DC to stop the bill from moving forward. I, I do wonder though, with all the talk of voter suppression, and it's been an extremely important issue that your organization and mine have both worked on, I do wonder if the talk of voter suppression has had a suppressive effect on people wanting to participate and then bad redistricting maps, you know, things that we had to talk about, things we had to sound the alarm on. I wonder if that has taken the wind out of the sails of, of many voters. And I hope that's not the case because we need those voters to show up and we need them to have their voices heard. But I, I can't help but wonder if, if folks are maybe a little more pessimistic around civic engagement in Texas because of the conversations around it. Yeah, I, I think that too. And I mean, especially with the, the districts that they drew, uh, you know, in, in parts of Dallas, you have these predominantly Hispanic neighborhoods. They're now in a district, a congressional district that goes down to Waxahachie up in Collin County, sort of these areas where there are Democrats. They are in a congressional district up near Paris, Texas, that is over two hours away. Uh, and, and, and I got my COVID shot in Paris. And let me tell you, it is very different than, <laughs> than those pockets of Collin County. Um, but so things like that. And I mean, even for myself, like I, I gotten totally redistricted and it's, it's a bummer. I, I, I don't really like it. Um, but no, I think that we have a lot of work cut out for us. Uh, you know, we, we did not mention too much about Beto uh, but he has been doing his tour around the state. Um, I, I'm pretty confident. I think he's got the Democratic primary. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think he will be our candidate. And, you know, it'll, it'll be, I, I think, um, especially as we hit the one-year anniversary of Winter Storm Uri, that that'll bring back some, you know, just a horrible, horrible chapter in our state's history. Yeah. And... And uh, we'll we'll see. That's a um, that's a that's a good point you bring up on the storm because I know we just had another storm, and people said, "Oh, well, nothing bad happened." You know, the grid the grid held up. There are a couple things important to keep in mind there. One is that 
it's not really one, it's not really much to celebrate when something doesn't work. It's supposed to work, right? Like let's let's not celebrate because it didn't fail, <laughs> because it didn't do what it wasn't supposed to do. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind. But the Texas Tribune ran a story a couple of days ago saying the grid wasn't actually fully tested in that storm. Mm-hmm. It didn't in- endure the same stress that it did a year ago. We've still seen the lights flicker off on a mild day in May. And that's that's something to be concerned with. The other thing is that, look, it's not Democrats are never rooting for the grid to fail. It's it, it is a legit failure of government when 700 people died last year because the precautions that were supposed to be taken weren't taken. And you mentioned Beto, he's talking about the keep the lights on tour. He's you know, trying to put a positive frame on it. A lot of the things he's put on social media are meetings with, um, he had a meeting with a young black man who lost both of his legs because of the storm. He got mm-hmm. frostbite and they had to be amputated. This is a direct cause of the government not looking out for, for, for the people. And there are very real consequences that I think shouldn't be forgotten. None of us should forget about, you know, the grid may flicker and it may not, it may not go down, but it did go down once and a lot of people suffered because of it. I was actually going back and looking at our coverage. So I was the only person at Texas Signal. My, my, the, the power did not go out uh, for, for me. So I was filing, everyone else did for, for some of them for several days. Yeah. Um, so I was filing stories and I was going back to look at this and literally that first Monday evening, Greg Abbott is on Fox news lying about, uh, he, he brings up AOC. He's talking yeah. about how the green new deal, this is why the green new deal, it's a deadly deal. And everyone's like, what are you, there is no green new deal. We don't have that in Texas. Right. What are you talking about? Uh, but that, that was his instinct was to go and lie. And it, and if you go back and I, I, I think this was Tucker Carlson or maybe it was Sean Hannity, uh, one of the, the Fox hosts, he is just stammering there. He looks dumbfounded. It is completely uh, appalling. I think if uh, the fact that people did not have power and did not see that, um, you know, that, that's something that I always try and bring up. Like this is when he was tested, he just went out and, and lied. You know, our, the, the real test of a leader is really comes in, under a time of crisis. And you saw people like Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins during the beginning of the pandemic really stand up and make some tough decisions on closures and mask mandates and such. The governor picked a fight with him there. You you saw a community respond to Hurricane Harvey in 2017. I originally, uh, don't tell anyone, but I'm originally from California. I know nobody in Texas is from California these days. Everybody, it seems like a third of the people are. But in the land of earthquakes, you really saw people come together, the left and the right, to say, okay, how, what can we do to rebuild this community? What can we do to find people who are still missing? You don't see any of that with Greg Abbott. And when you blame the Green New Deal, it's like, dude, you've been running Texas for 20 years. Like, if there's too much wind and solar here, why are you blaming us? By the way, there's not enough wind and solar here. It's part of the problem. <laughs> but I think the cognitive dissonance that exists cannot be undermined. I mean, they don't, they don't care. That's just all about scoring points. Right. And I mean, I think that's been a, a lot of his primary has been like that. I mean, we're, you know, speaking of California, we're approaching about the same number of deaths from COVID-19 as that state. And that has over 10 million more people. I mean, yeah. that just sort of goes to show you where things are. Um, and, you know, he has 
he has run so far to the right. Uh, I mean, and he is, you know, whether or not, I think, I think he will not face a runoff with either West or Huffines, but they clearly succeeded in, you know, shifting him right up until the Hun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't say it better than you just said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to all the Huffines fans. They they read Texas Signal, and I can't tell you, I get so much mail from them. Someone's actually like, oh, great story on Don, and then other stuff I, I, I can't really say out loud. <laughs> but for whatever, for whatever reason, Team team Huffines is just, uh, just they're out there. <laughs> loud and proud. <laughs> Uh, well, Ed, thank you so much for this conversation. Is there anything that else you're you're looking forward to? Are you are you planning to go on Valentine's Day to, to go vote? You know, uh, I usually wait a couple of days. I wait for the lines to die down. I, I don't know there's going to be lines this time, but I, think I usually wait for the lines to die down. Uh, I like to look at the numbers and the data, and then I'll go maybe around the third day of early vote. Um, yeah, I just, I like to be an observer for a little while, kind of see the stuff coming in and then I'll go in at lunch one day when there's like no one there, I'll, I'll be in and out. No, no problem. Yeah. How about yourself? When are you voting? You voting on Valentine's day? You know, I think I might do sort of your, your approach. Um, and I've, I've got a, a, a library that I, that I vote in. And so I also like to, to get my books that aren't banned there. Make it, a, make it a day basically. or get them before they are banned yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh well again my thanks to ed espinoza from progress texas uh, for this conversation and uh if y'all uh early voting does start february 14th uh, so to be sure to check out your ballots uh, i know for dallas county we have our uh, democratic ballot that's up i i took a look at mine uh there were a bunch of you know, as we mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of these state races, but there's also very important races for uh, State Board of Education, judges, constables. Uh, so de definitely take a look at that ballot. Do you have a thing where you can look up to see what's on your ballot, uh, a page that you go to for that? Yeah, yeah. So Dallas County has that where they, Dallas I think, thir yeah, 30 days in advance, uh, they, they have that up there. I was actually just at a a luncheon. The, the keynote speaker was our election supervisor. His name is Michael Scarpello. He uh, he very diplomatically had some things to say about uh, uh, Senate Bill One. Uh, I because I mean, this is a, I mean, you know, this uh, he's nonpartisan as as we we want him to be. Uh, he he's done this work in Nebraska, I think California, Arizona. Um, but the, you know, the things that Texas has done has made his his job a lot harder. He wants people to vote. Yeah, I, I, a lot of counties, Travis County, we also have a page where we can go and look up who's on our ballot. But what I've noticed in looking at a lot of these county clerks around the state is that, especially in the smaller counties, they just don't have much of an online presence. So one of the things that we direct people to is one of the sites put up by the League of Women Voters called vote411.org. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty good. You can look up your ballot there. And in fact, wasn't the lunch that you were at it was the League of Women Voters. Of League of Women Voters. There we go. <laughs> yes, and vote four one one. That's in English and in Spanish too. So, and I think in, in a couple other languages too around. Uh, so yeah, the League of Women Voters. They do great stuff, uh, and you know they've they've really also been at the forefront of talking about about uh, voter suppression bills like like SB one. 
Good stuff. Well, not, not SB1, League of Women Voters. Good stuff. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for joining us. And uh, be sure to, to tune in to Texas Signal, Progress Texas. I think I'll be on y'all's happy hour next week. Uh, you can follow yep. us along. We're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple, Anchor, Google. I think we're still on Spotify, though. I don't know how much longer on that. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for the chat, Ed. Good to be here. Right. See you again soon. Bye, guys. Bye.